Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Sarah Ellis, and this is the Squiggly Careers Podcast. Each week we chat about a different topic to do with work and share practical ideas and actions that we hope will help you to navigate your squiggly career with a bit more confidence and clarity. This week is one of our Ask the Expert interviews. Shortly, you'll hear me chatting to London Business School Professor of Organisational Behaviour and author Dan Cable. And we're going to be focusing this interview on purpose. What is purpose? Why does it matter? And most importantly, What does it mean to kind of have more purpose in the work that we do? Dan is brilliant. He's such a joy to have a conversation with. He's so full of energy and enthusiasm. And it was exactly the kind of conversation I was hoping for. Practical, realistic, and really useful. Well, certainly that was kind of my takeaway from the conversation. Dan has loads of great resources that I'm always recommending to people who come on our workshops. And you can find them all in one place at Dan hyphencable.com. Of course, we'll link to them in the show notes. In particular, if you're looking for an article to read on things like job crafting, he wrote something for Harvard Business Review called How to Turn Your Boring Job into a Job You'll Love. Quite a dramatic title, but actually some really helpful content in there that I'm pretty sure everyone will benefit from. So I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll be back at the end just to let you know what's coming up next. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today on the Squiggly Careers podcast. Oh, it's great. Thanks for letting me uh, contribute. Well, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today because we're going to be talking about a topic that comes up a lot, but I think people still really struggle with. And that's this idea of purpose at work, discovering your purpose, finding your purpose. And I think it feels like a really big and quite an overwhelming area to grapple with the pressure and the expectation to like discover this purpose that we put on ourselves and I read some really interesting research actually how going through the process of thinking about your purpose and almost am I getting enough purpose actually can make people genuinely feel really anxious and could do the opposite of what we're trying to do so I'm just interested to kind of start from your perspective when you're thinking about people finding more purpose at work like What does success look like here? Yeah. And the first thing I'll do is just respond to that insight or that intuition that you have. Purpose goes to a self-definition, it seems. And that means that people get a little nervous about it because if I can't state it clearly, then who am I? And that question of who am I is just runs so deep for humans. You know, it kind of rips right to the core. 
And that's why this seems really different from saying like, do you enjoy your job? I would say it's a superficial question because it kind of says, does my job make me happy or do I find it interesting? That's a more approachable way to ask things. But to say like, does my job fulfill my purpose or does it move me toward my calling? That's almost like, like I said, it's a religious question almost. And I think that that's unfortunate. Mm. And maybe it's a newer question as well. So when I've read about this before, the role that work plays in our lives has changed, I think, in terms of our expectation of what we want from our work. And I think that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, you know, we spend a lot of time at work. So the fact that that can be a source of fulfillment and meaning for us is a brilliant upside because it's how we spend most of our time. But equally, that thing about just the expectations of what we can get from it, what we need from it, seem to be so much higher. I think probably even when I started my career, I don't think people had that... People didn't even use the word purpose, I don't think, when I first started working. That's right. We weren't to where we needed that yet. I think about how, for instance, my father, who was born in 1929, seemed like for him as a Depression-era child, Mm. the big deal was that he had a job. And then it seemed like by the time I came along, it was like, I want to be able to learn stuff, though, keep developing. And then this new generation is like, well, yeah, of course I want to learn and grow, but it also has to have impact that matters. It has to have meaning to me personally. I think you're onto something there as well. It's almost like there's like an inflation of what jobs are supposed to do for us. And what an interesting thought and insight. And and also, I wonder, that kind of creates a heaviness for those of us that aren't able to point to something and say, that's my purpose and that's my calling. Maybe we feel a little less than. I was reading a live at work again, but there's one part I remember underlining that said around just because your work has meaning doesn't mean that it's easy or that every day is brilliant or full of happy smiles. Actually, meaningful work can be hard and very effortful, but it becomes more worth it because you have that sense of, I know maybe why I'm doing this. And I know, yeah, this bit's hard, but it's in the pursuit of something that I care about. Is that kind of what you find in your research that when perhaps people do feel more of a sense of purpose, that it doesn't make life easier, but maybe it makes it easier to find your way through the squiggliness? It's a really nice way to think of it. The the fancy word is resilience. It is true that for tasks and activities that we think match our purpose are meaningful to us, they have a strong why for us. The sort of how becomes less important. The day in and day out grind of it becomes less aversive because we're in pursuit of something that matters. I I think that that is the sharpest way that we can think about the power of purpose for a human being. It's so interesting to think that we might be one of the only animals that needs that. I mean, I've never been a dog, so I can't say, but (laughs) other animals just seem to get on with it. You know, they don't seem to need these stories about what matters. And we really seem to need that as, as a species it almost seems like that's our first order of business is to figure out what's this for and why do I act this way and why are we here? I mean, they're just such metaphysical questions. And if we don't come to answers, it seems to wear us out. You know, there's now been, I guess I know of four different studies that show that when we can feel that our lives and our work 
It's found independently. If when our lives and our work seem to have meaning to us, seem to have a role in our bigger picture, we live longer and we're more resilient in the face of adversity. And we're less likely to suffer these depressive incidents when we get knocked down by life. And as near as I can tell, those are kind of facts. And I find that to be a really important domain. There's some other things I wanted to tell you about that, um, that idea of the squiggly. Some people, for whatever reason, feel like they have found it purpose in life and in work yeah and they know what they're trying to be pursuing and others are more like seekers where they Mm -hmm. bounce around learning what isn't it for a long time but then it dawns on them what it is for them there's more than one way to find your purpose and it may not hit you like a flash of light when you're 16 and it's time to start thinking about what's next for me there may be efficiency advantages to knowing up front in the research some people at age seven and six years old already know they're going to be a doctor and they literally just work toward that like a missile every day is another step closer to being the doctor and then there's other people at age 40 they're still trying different things out and they're still trying to see what isn't it And I'd love to come back to this job crafting idea, because actually I'm going to ask you a bit about an article you wrote on job crafting, which is something that we've talked about on the podcast before. And people are always really interested in because it starts from where you are. It feels, I think, like an accessible opportunity to make your work better. And the title for the article was Turn Your Boring Job Into a Job You Love. So help us and our listeners to understand, I think, firstly, maybe just a little brief explanation, like remind people what job crafting is, because I don't think it's an everyday term in every organization and then maybe what that looks like and some of these practical actions we've hinted at so far one thing that i really agree strongly with it's still not broken through job crafting because i think that so many of us still start with the assumption that the organization gets to say what our job is so i think it's really quite interesting to flip it on its head and say the organization may really benefit from us being more lit up if we're able to personalize our work, if we're able to take the job in terms of the results, but make it our own in terms of how we get there and what the job means. The three different types of approaches, you could say, the first P has to do with the process of the work. And there's so many things to say about that, but it means in terms of the tasks themselves, you often can find one or two of the tasks that either they're not asked for or there's not much of it asked for, but you find that doing it lights you up because it like uses your strengths and it makes you feel more alive. And what I've been helping MBA students and executives do is bring in tasks, not because they're asked for, not because you get paid to do that exact thing, but because it generates energy that helps you do the rest of your job better. P number two is people. We often think you can't choose who you work with, And if you're passive, then you don't. But the evidence suggests you actually have a lot of choices to make. For example, there's lots of little examples. If you're a client-facing like consultant, it may be the case that you're much more lit up by some industries or some particular clients due to cultural fit or value congruence, whatever it might be. If you just start talking with your boss and say, I would rather work on that than that, it may may be indifferent. It may be... The same to them, but really change how life feels to you. That's one. Another one is it's possible to get trapped into relationships where it may feel productive and efficient, 
it may feel like because it used to work well, for instance, in my own world, I'll say publishing with certain other professors, other colleagues who are, they're really good at the statistics and I'm really good at the writing. So we team up and we start having some good publications. That may sound great and complimentary, but if we don't get along interpersonally, for a while, I found myself sticking with the relationship. And even though it wasn't much fun, it was productive. It's just life's too short. If you had indefinite time, maybe, but you just don't. And so the <laughs> idea of finding more time with the people that inspire you, it's something that we can do. It's almost like you can trim your relationships and just overinvest in the relationships that give more back. So that's interesting. So process people, last P. What do you guess the third one is? What's the topic of our conversation? Oh, is it just purpose? <laughs> um, let's talk just briefly about this one because purpose is construed by ourselves. I mean, it's a story that we tell ourselves. I think about editing that story. And one of the ways I've created a little digital tool and I work with MBA students, and it's on personalizing that story of why we do the tasks in our job. What I do is I took this research on construal level theory, which is quite a mouthful and just created an exercise called the four whys. And I'm sure everybody does this at one point in their lives, but it's the idea of saying, let me take a given task. Like, let's say you're a manager and you have to do these dreaded performance evaluation meetings at the end of the, you know, whatever the quarter or the year, and pretty much everybody hates them. You could ask yourself, well, why do I do this? And you listen really hard for the real story that your mind is telling you. And a lot of times the story is like, cause you have to, and you say, okay, I wonder if there's not a more inspirational story though. Like, okay, that may be an answer, but is it the most inspiring answer for me? What if I thought like it might help people to do these? How would it help people to do these? Okay, well, it gives them feedback. Okay, well then that's slightly better. Why do you do those? Because I have to, I feel a little sick inside. Why do I do that? Because it helps give people feedback. Okay, let's follow that through. What's the second why? Why do you care if you give people feedback? Huh, you think about that for a while and you say, well, I guess I want them to move forward in their career. Or you say, well, I guess I want them to know where they stand. But you listen to what your own brain tells you might be meaningful. And then, okay, say it's because I want to move them forward in their career. And then you say to your, the third one, why do you care about their career? Why do you care if they move forward in their career? And then you just listen, what's your brain say? And it might say like, well, because you want to help people. Okay, well, listen, maybe we're getting somewhere here. If you want to help people, well, that's meaningful for you. This becomes a path to helping people. So all of a sudden you've recrafted that away from a necessity and towards something meaningful and purposeful. I've done that with every task in my own job, including grading papers, including why I teach, including why I write papers, why I argue with reviewers, why I do podcasts. I really have tried to do the four whys to just listen to what my brain tells me and then ask, is that good enough? If I've understood that right, just listening to you, each why is then connected to the previous answer. We often call it like you're diving deeper each time to kind of until you get to the point where you feel actually that's something that I've really connected with. That's exactly right. Let's, let's just say grading, we're working through one more time. Mm. It's sort of like saying, now, why do I grade these papers? And you say, because it is because I want to give them feedback. 
well, why do you want to give them feedback? I want to help them improve. Why do you care if they improve? Because I want to help them understand. This is for my own one. I want to help them understand how to put more living in other people's lives. Now we're getting really close to that's what I try to do. I kind of feel like what I do is try to help put more living into other people's lives. All of a sudden, I'm able to connect my written comments to my larger order purpose. But it just feels like given that I have to do these anyway, let me try to understand how I can connect to it in a meaningful, personal way. And so just listening to you there talking about job crafting and then kind of connecting that back to this idea of purpose, do you think in the kind of work that you've done, almost rather than worrying about this sort of higher order discovery of a purpose or a direction that you find really motivating, would you almost recommend that actually people's time is better spent almost focusing on where you are today and how you can get more meaning and purpose from where you are now? I feel like there's um, maybe, a te- whether it's a tension or not, but about a kind of nowness versus a should people kind of be thinking more about where they'd like the direction? We often talk about purpose being about a direction that you find motivating. How do you consider that almost? Where do you think people should put their energy and efforts? That's a great question. The first thing that jumped in my mind as you were speaking is there's a top down and a bottom up. Mm. And so top down would be this approach of saying, forget about what I'm doing now. What do I care about in this world? What makes me really curious about the world? You know, what kind of draws me in? And I don't even know why. I don't even care why. It just does. I feel like we don't want to ignore those. I would want to listen to that top down of, you don't have to say why it makes you mad or why it makes you excited or why it makes you curious. Those are emotions that you could read as information. So I never would want to look away from that. I'd always want to be listening to that. But at the same time, there's a bottom-up approach of saying, right now you probably have a job. And that's really where the job crafting comes in. You have a job and you're maybe not going to be able to leave this week or this month or maybe even this year. So in the meantime, how can we use our job as like a learning platform? How can we personalize it as a way to help it feel more like ourselves and not just this robotic machine-like approach to work. And in the middle is probably this squiggly career. If I'm, what is in the middle are six or eight tasks across three or four decades that we're able to refine what makes us feel most alive. I sort of read research that sometimes scares me about how much people don't enjoy their jobs still. So, you know, we sort of describe this world where we look for so much fulfillment and have that expectation. And yet, on the other hand, there are lots of people who probably go, but that's not my experience. I don't go to work and you see those kind of cliche offices sometimes that say, you know, do what you love and these kind of big career statements that put a lot of pressure on you. And if you're thinking, gosh, I feel so far away from some of what Sarah and Dan have talked about today, what would your advice be to those kind of people who kind of need to do a bit more living? You sort of talk, I really like the way you were like, I'm going to help people to kind of live their lives kind of even better. Where do you start if you feel really stuck or that you're struggling a bit? Um, one is a new thing and one is one we already discussed. The new thing is this, my best possible life exercise. And I've done this, I actually did this 12 years ago now, but it is where you sit down 
And on four successive days, you spend 20 minutes each time. So it's not a nothing exercise, but you're sitting down and you're writing. I did mine on Word, so I could edit and so on, but you could do it on paper and pencil. But the idea is you write down in 10 years, if everything went perfectly, what would my life look like? And that even is outside of work, but it would be, who am I around? What am I doing? What strengths am I using? How am I creating an impact? And there's a lot of evidence that suggests that this helps you find the story. Not as though you're going to get that perfect either, but you're able to get enough distance from it that you can say, based on the skills, the talents and the strengths that I've seen in myself, and you've thought about the people that have inspired you and the activities that have kind of brought you most alive. The way that I did this, and I think I would even recommend is, I even started by writing down specific memories of times that I have felt most alive. And I tried to be real gritty about them and be like, who was I around and what was I doing? And time kind of felt like it went away. What was I doing there? And it just seemed so natural to be acting that way, so authentic. What was I doing? But I mean, I spent the time. I really put in the time and I wrote that. And that's been validated. There's a lot of evidence that suggests that that helps get a story in our brain. And our brains love stories. It not only makes people more likely to move toward that trajectory, but it makes them healthier physically makes them more resilient. So it's almost like by writing that out, we start to make it more real. So that would be like James Pennebaker's work. Yes. There's also like King, I forget her first name, but there's a researcher and she has done this exercise a number of times and her college students do it. They literally go to the infirmary less. They literally get head colds less often, less sore throats. It's actually quite powerful to arm our mind with a story about where we're going. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing, and that's sort of the far off thing. But the really immediate thing, the other thing really is this job crafting thing. It really is about whatever job you're in right now, thinking really hard about the moments that do seem like you're getting close to your strengths, the moments that really seem like you are a little bit lit up inside and just saying, would there be a way to do more of that? And then think about, are there certain strengths that you might be able to bring to that job that just made you, not because they asked you to do it, but just because it felt kind of interesting. Like, I'm going to give you a really quick example. In my own life, when I, one of the worst jobs I ever had was working in a supermarket. Uh, and I was only about 17 years old and I was uh, in New Kensington, Pennsylvania. And I just did it to get some extra money. And I had these parents that kind of treated work, well, like it was bad. And I just remember, even then I was quite social and I was a stalker. I stocked shelves. And that's not very social, but I found that I could talk to the customers a little bit while yeah. I was doing it. And that really helped. Mm. And I remember learning enough that I asked if I could start doing the cashier work because I saw like they constantly are talking to the customers. And I was able to get them to transfer me there. Now, it took about three months, but then I did. And that really helped. I got to tell you, not only did I get a raise because they thought that was like a promotion, it was also just non-financially gratifying because every single person I got to talk with and that just used a strength for me. Now, I know that's not for everybody, but the point is that's the beauty of it. It's a fit between finding the part of the work that might inspire you. I went home feeling more energized than when I was just stocking shelves. So I'm just trying to tell that story because I'm not acting like now I'm becoming a Nobel Prize winner or you know now I'm sort of touching the lives of thousands. 
it's just a wee tweak, but it made a big difference. It had a lot of leverage for me. So Dan, just to finish our time together, ask you the same question that we ask all of our guests, which is to share your best or your favorite piece of career advice. I'm sure you get asked actually by your students all the time, this question. And it's a hard one, isn't it? Because you're, I'm basically going to distill all of your wisdom into a sentence or two. But what are the thoughts that you'd want to leave our listeners with today? I actually was going to bring up the little article or the little thing that I wrote about for your book. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but I spent a lot of time in my sort of medium adult in North Carolina. And there are these mountains there. In this same area, there were these bumper stickers. I probably saw almost every time I went up there that would say, follow your bliss. My career advice is actually follow your blisters because a lot of times what's meaningful isn't fun. It's not blissful and easy and you just click your heels and it's just laughable and joyous. A lot of times the things that are most meaningful, you kind of have to work at and grind away at. And it calls you back and then you grind away at it and it hurts enough, you move away. I'm thinking at this moment, even like having kids and raising kids, you wouldn't always call that a blissful experience. <laughs> you keep coming back to it because it matters. It feels meaningful. That follow your blisters is a key slogan for me because it reminds us that it doesn't have to be a laugh a minute and joyous to be deeply important in terms of investing time and energy and pursuing improvement in it. And so for, for me, that's what I'm saying is look for activities that keep drawing you back in like a magnet, even though they kind of annoy you. Three days later, you're back at it. When I was a little kid, believe it or not, it was a guitar. I never got very good at it, but I could never stay away from it for a day or two. I just, to show my friends, it felt fulfilling. And then it became writing. When I was about 19 or 20 years old, it became writing. And I just never, since, I've never been able to get away from writing. And so <laughs> I think that there's something that many of us can listen to that just what calls you back, even though it's sort of irritating at times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I hope you found that conversation useful and that it's prompted and sparked some new thoughts for you or perhaps going to make you reflect and think about your purpose differently or in a new way. We're already thinking about our next Ask the Expert series, which should actually be series four. So let us know if there are people you particularly like to learn from and hear from, and we'll do our very best. I can at least promise that we'll ask, even if someone says no. Probably the best place to let us know who you'd like to hear from is Instagram, where we're at Amazing If. And you can always connect with us on LinkedIn. Let us know that you listen to the podcast and send us a message there too. Of course, if you have time to do us a five-minute favour, rating and reviewing the podcast helps us loads. It means those algorithms I don't quite understand work their magic, as well as giving us a spark of joy during a week. And if you've bought our book, The Squiggly Career, again, leaving us a review on Amazon or wherever you bought your book makes a really massive difference to us. It's one of those free things that you can do for small businesses, wherever you buy from a small business, that is really, really helpful. So that's everything for this week and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.